0: and it's a lot of the young ones so yeah i'm going to get into property because i'm not I don't have to work at 9 to 5 i can go to nando's at 12 o'clock if i want to go to nando's i can take friday off if i don't want it friday off. yeah you can do when you're about 10 15 years into the business and it's established by all means do what you want be careful who you trust because not everybody has the best intentions for you people buy from people go in make a relationship with them start talking to them start communicating it's all about building your pipeline up
1: do you think property investment is for everyone Welcome back to the Mindful Creator podcast, guys. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. If you're loving the episodes and if you're loving the guests, then please make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. Also, make sure you comment below with your favorite part of the episode or the part that impacted you the most from the conversation because I absolutely love hearing how the conversations are making a difference for you. Your interaction and engagement is what helps me make this podcast that much bigger and better with even more amazing guests and even more powerful conversations. None of this would be possible without you. So again, I'm hugely grateful. Thank you so much. And let's get into the show. My guest today is Ravi Gore. Ravi is a property investor, a mentor, and an accredited property educator. I'm not gonna lie. I didn't even know that you could become (laughs) an accredited property educator. He's been actively investing for over 13 years and still does to this day, which started off with rent to rent And as a result of the rent to rent success, He's amassed a growing portfolio of properties that he owns as well. Um, and also, I would like to say, I remember you telling me this before we spoke, actually, that you were on rent to rent before rent to rent even became a popular strategy. So I'm super excited to get into that today. And also, what is amazing is that you're mentoring people to create their own portfolios, to build their own legacy, and to build their own generational wealth. Ravi, thank you so much for joining me on the show.
0: It's been a pleasure thank you for having me on Appreciate absolutely it. bro
1: um so look obviously you're in property we're going to be talking a lot about property i want to know a little bit about ravi before property became a thing so what was ravi like before you became who you see today
0: before ravi well i was actually cricket mad so my thing was always cricket it was cricket 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 um i i used to go to india every christmas to train to learn to become pro Um, unfortunately that journey didn't happen and as a result of it I started to take school a little bit more serious when I knew it wasn't gonna get there
1: Wow, I had no idea about cricket
0: so yeah so I my I used to train at some quite high places Um, there's a stadium in Mumbai called the Brabourne Stadium uh, which is India's equivalent to the Lord's cricket ground here in the UK so prestigious very prestigious ground um, and that was home for 10 days at Christmas every year for about five or six years um, and that was who I was before. Everything was about cricket, was about cars. My dad comes from a quite a large business. We own a car body shop, previously of BMWs own body shop themselves. Um, so I've always been around that sort of side of business uh, in terms of it. Um, and yeah, that's that's where Ravi's journey started really.
1: That's interesting. So what made little Rav so passionate about cricket?
0: i tell you what it was, when I was at school, um, and I remember this game vividly. It was 1999. It was Sourav Ganguly made 183 versus Sri Lanka. And I don't know what happened. I, I wouldn't say I was big on cricket before. I mm-hmm. was always, you know, it was always at school. It was always football, cricket, rugby, whatever it was. But it was something. And, and, and I always remember that school, they allowed us to watch that game. And that was the first time that like kind of something that had ever happened because usually it was like no you gotta watch you gotta to go to class.
1: I was gonna say you know it's a big game if schools going do you know what guys let's uh, <laughs> let's watch a cricket match. <laughs> yeah
0: exactly right, um, and I just fell in love with the game ever since, and it from there it just and even today I'm, I'm back playing now, um, so I'm back playing Saturday leagues, um, just just love the game just everything about it just just I'm nuts about it really. Amazing. Yeah.
1: So you were actually in quite intensive training for cricket for quite a significant part mm. of your life I'd say and i think with any sport that you do to a high level you end up getting a lot of training from that Mm -hmm. what were some of the biggest learnings that you had because of cricket that you actually utilize today in your business life i think the biggest takeaway from it was um nothing is guaranteed so
0: even though i was going to these these courses even the sorry these training centers um, the mindset nothing was going to get handed to you on the plate the minute you entered the ground and, and you were I'm talking about some high up senior profile coaches you were absolutely nothing in front of them you may have been the best batsman in the nets for the last 15-20 minutes but you then got to go back and do more drills and, and the realization came in when I was in it because because it was in Mumbai in India and you see some of those those kids who have come from nothing and they're at the ground at 5am on the dot they're ready to train they will be there until 9pm at night when the center closes um, and they're giving you know they're dedicating life to it just to get where they need to be today the dedication is immense and I remember a second trip when I went back to Jandigan in fact um, someone saying to me we're actually going to go to Yuvraj Singh's dad's house was it alright cool Are we were all excited It's a casual trip you just think yeah it's a <laughs> casual trip big <but> we're pretty <laughs> do and I actually got up there and he said look you're more than welcome to come and have a chat with me but I'm training somebody and he wasn't actually a player who's, who's played IPL for Punjab and I'm talking this is like 9pm at night and he's got floodlights on in upstairs roof of his house and he's throwing these like it's almost like table tennis balls but they're quite solid and hard and he's just pinging and the commitment level this this kid had at the time it was Manon Vora the level that he had at at 9 p.m at night and I'm talking the balls coming down at him like 70 miles an hour he must have been about 13 14 at the time pitch black two floodlights put on the commitment he's gone through his parents have gone through to facilitate that um kind of got me that mindset that for wherever I had to go whether it's 9am or it's 9pm, we have got to put the hours in to get where you want, kind of need to be and where you want to be in life.
1: Training for greatness, basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey. If you don't
0: put the hours in, you're not going to get anything.
1: The purpose of this podcast is to help you make your dreams a reality in every area of life. And that includes travelling and exploring some of the world's most beautiful destinations, like the Maldives. Myself and my wife took a trip to the Maldives last year. And with the huge number of islands to choose from and the cost differences between all of them, it all became a little bit overwhelming. That's where Simply Maldives, a dedicated travel agency for all the islands, stepped in, gave us the best advice, helped us plan our perfect trip, and got us a fantastic deal. That's why I'm proud and excited to say that I'm now partnered with Simply Maldives. Their expert knowledge can help you plan the perfect dream holiday. Whether you're traveling solo, traveling as a couple, traveling with your family and kids or you have specific dietary requirements they have something for you so if you're interested in jetting off to the Maldives for your next dream holiday then reach out to Simply Maldives through the link below and I can guarantee you you'll be well looked after you're a property mentor yep you are a property investor yes you're both you're not one or the other and I love that about what you do anyway because you're doing the work and teaching people along the journey so you're kind of giving the best up-to-date learnings that anyone could ask for Mm -hmm. and what i really want to use this session for as well for this recording is having the listener in mind who is super interested in property really wanting to get into the game because they've seen the success that people talk about all day every day on instagram or tiktok or youtube and with them in mind give them the absolute best value of what it takes to succeed in this game uh what things they need to look out for and essentially what the best training structure would be for them to succeed
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely why not let's do it
1: cool so let's start with strategy okay someone looking to get into property is there or would you ever say that there is the best strategy for someone to work towards and how would they even go about starting understanding where they needed to start to get involved in the property game?
0: I think before you start having a look at what's the best strategy, I think the first thing you need to have a look at is yourself. You need to have a look at you. You need to have a look at your finances. You need to have a look at your life perspective. And then when you break down those kind of um, thoughts and processes, that will lead you to the path of where you want to go. So for example, if you're coming to me and you're saying, Ravi, I've got 50 to 100 grand in my bank account. I'm probably not going to tell you to go towards rent rent because you've got the cash flow in your account, which will allow you to then go and purchase property so you can start building that generation of wealth. However, if you're on the other side of the spectrum where you don't have enough money or you want to look to build that sort of uh, that equity up, then I would sort of say to you, right, we need to start looking at rent rent or even potentially deal sourcing, which will allow you to build that income up. I think the problem I have in today's world is everybody dives onto YouTube or they go onto Instagram or they go onto TikTok and they see Rav Gore's doing something or so-and-so is doing something. And that's the best strategy going. It's the best strategy going for me because of my situation and where I was and where I'm planning to go to. You've got to look at yourself. and, And it's quite a selfish perspective because it has to be selfish. This is about you. It's not about me. It's not about anybody else. It's about where you want to go in your journey. So if you want to look at, if you're looking at yourself and thinking, I really want to get into property, but I've got 100k in the bank account, right, we need to probably look towards like HMOs or the commercial sort of side of stuff where you, where it's going to be a little bit more work, but you've got, you know, the money in the bank. If you don't have the money, then we need to look at other little, little steps to kind of get you to where you need to be. I think the other thing that most people need to do, especially when they want to get into property, is don't look at it in, uh, as an aspect of, I want to get into property. Look at this as, where am I going to use this to go to my next level? So for example, one, one of the questions I always ask anyone that comes on a sales call with me is, where do you want to go with this? What? Why are we doing this? I don't want it to be a case of me and you sitting on a weekly weekly call because you're telling me you saw your best friend down the pub and he was telling you what he's doing, service accommodation, <laughs> and now you want to start it because I'm going to have to cut the call here because you're not the type of clientele I want to work with. My philosophy is you need to have a, a bigger picture in mind. So, for example, if you're someone like myself, we've got young kids, we need to obviously look for their future. I need to build for them. So. I would then, if I was in your shoes, I'd look to use a rent to rent strategy if, if I was looking to create funds, which would then allow me to then in the future build a pot of funds at which I can then go and use as um, investment for buying property, which will create me generational wealth. That's the way you got to look at it. Do you think
1: property investment is for everyone?
0: Is property investment? Property investment isn't for the faint hearted. And, and I've said that a few times on a few of my Instagram videos. Um, I think it can be for everybody. But I think you have to understand the processes which comes with property investment. Um, there are a lot more knocks than there are kind of um, pros to it. There are, you're going to be knocked down a hell of a lot of time. You're going to be, nose are going to be said to you a lot, a lot of the time. But I think if you're willing to grind and if you're willing to put the work in and you really want to do this wholeheartedly, then then absolutely. What I, what I would suggest people not to do is don't do it just because it's, it's something that looks great on TV or someone's doing something and you think, wow. This looks like a good thing to do because very, very quickly you'll end up losing a lot of money Um, because as great as property can be, it can also be a drastic pitfall uh, for somebody.
1: Why would or why should someone choose property investment over other forms of investment like stocks and shares or there's trading, there's people could go and set up a business like what's the reason why property has such a high level of uh, potential upside for people?
0: Yeah, I think, I think the worst thing that can happen in property if you look at it from a negative perspective is if, even if you bought a property and you didn't for whatever reason, you weren't, didn't have the funds to kind of uplift the property, the value of it, you can still sell it for the value that you bought it at. Very really are you going to sell it at a loss in case, unless something drastic happened like COVID or there's been a massive disaster in the property. You'll always be able to cut your losses of, of where, you, where you kind of purchased it with. The good thing with property is it's bricks and mortar everybody needs a home there'll always be a a special tenant type which you can cater for stocks are great crypto can be great the problem i have with it it's up and down peaks and troughs property yes even though we're going through a period of time now in the country where interest rates are quite high and and, you know people are gonna but there are still strategies out there which you can still go and buy properties like for example the hmo strategy which if you're buying it at a hmo level it doesn't matter if the interest rate's a little bit higher what you're earning from your tenant rental income you're going to overcome it anyway so I think it will allow you to build that generation of wealth and it gives you that kind of pathway to get where you need to be uh, where i think sometimes when stocks and crypto there's not always that vision yet can i see myself doing this in the next 10 15 years or am i going to make a quick buck now where's properties for the long game and if you're willing to ride out the waves if you're willing to go kind of the next 10 20 years with it you can roll on you can make your millions and then the next nice thing is and I, i'm going to get a little bit heated for this but you can't really hand over stocks and shares to the next generation as such. Whereas property, if I went and bought 10, 15 properties, I know my two sons are going to be able to enjoy that because when my time's up on this earth, it's all going to you two. Um, So they've got something to build their futures on. And I think that's a nice thing with properties. It allows you to elevate the next generation as well.
1: I love that. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the strategies that we've just been speaking about. So you've got SAs, which are service accommodation, Mm -hmm. which is essentially... Treating your property like a like you would a hotel where you rent it out on a nightly rate. Yep. You've got rent to rent where you rent a property from someone else and then you charge an increased rent for that property and you make the profit in the difference. HMOs, which is multiple le- people living under one roof. And those are the, the three typical strategies that you talk about. So let
0: me break it down. we stop you right there because this is a massive misconception everyone has. So rent-to-rent is... I'm so glad you're breaking this down. No, no. So rent-to-rent is a strategy. And I'll tell you what, this is the one thing I say to everybody. If you remember at school um, when we had to do like the spider diagram, so you had to put the the word in the middle and you put the circle around it. Yeah. And then you had the several arms off it. So the word in the middle here is rent-to-rent. So rent-to-rent is our strategy. Then one arm that comes off rent-to-rent is service accommodation. Okay. Another arm comes off it is HMO. Another arm you can have off it is social housing. Another arm you can have of it is something called back-to-back rent-to-rent, which is in essence what you've just said what rent-to-rent was. Okay. And then deal packaging comes off it as well. So rent-to-rent is our strategy because whether it's service accommodation, whether it's HMO, whether it's social housing, the basics are still the same. We're still renting it on from the landlord to then re-rent it out depending on which other strategy we look to go towards.
1: Interesting. I had no idea you could do all of those under the same strategy.
0: Rent-to-rent is the house. Put it that way. And then... Service accommodation, HMO, social housing, they're all the kind of tenants within it.
1: Interesting. Okay. So first thing I want to touch on is service accommodation and rent-to-rent sound amazing um, because they have a low cost requirement to actually get into the strategy. Mm -hmm. Because if you're going to buy a house, you have to have a 25% deposit. Um, If you look at the average house price, not in London, uh, so let's go outside of London, up north. If you're looking at 150 to 200 grand for a property, you're going to need... Let's assume there's some refurb work, etc. You're gonna need about 50, 60k yep. just to get started. Yep. Okay. Whereas with rent to rent as an overarching strategy, you're gonna need a couple of thousand pounds to get the rental flow going. Mm-hmm. So the cost of entry is much lower. However, I know personally some people who've been sold the idea that the rent to rent is definitely the way to go, the cash flow is amazing, and as a result of that, have been burnt month on month because mm. they're always out of pocket yeah why has it worked for you
0: i think the one thing that i was so let me take you back a little bit so when i when i first started property um back in 2009 when i was saying to you we then termed it let to let the rent rent wasn't a thing it was l2l is what we used to <laughs> i remember term. you telling me this before so we, this, we jumped on this yeah so like... this, this is what it was called then <laughs> and everyone's like what's let to let the the thing with it is is and even going back then and even when I when I actually going forward a little bit I sourced a a business mentor who funnily enough also did rent rent at that time. One of the things that we always talked about was you have to be absolutely pedantic about your tenant types. The massive misconception people have today, especially when service combination, and this is where they make more mistakes, is with service combination. You get mainly two types of tenant. You get your leisure guests and then you get your business guests. The problem people have with is they just go and take a property on and they're happy to do it because it might be like in a central location. Fantastic, no problems at all. What they haven't dialed in in is have a look at the tenant type. What is a demographic of the tenant types? What kind of demands are in the areas? And one of the things that we nailed and one thing we absolutely are anal on even today to make sure we get right is even if we're taking a property on, who is our target clientele? Is it the business industry? Are we looking at the leisure guests? Are we looking at contractors? Who is our tenant types? We're not just going to 100% go with them, but we know that's going to be our, our main focus of income coming from there. Mm-hmm. Then before we take that property, we, and, I, and I'm, I'm still like that today, when I look at deals, I go through my figures two or three times. I'll have a look at 10 times. Let me see what kind of demand in there. The biggest problem people have had is, is it's great to say on now Instagram, because back then Instagram wasn't even a thing. I don't even think Facebook was around when we started. I think it was uh, MySpace, maybe. I might be wrong. When did you start? She's so going 2009. So Facebook was around Facebook it. was just, just launching, uh,
1: getting traction.
0: Yeah. But I think putting things like that on there wasn't there. Because I remember you used to, on Facebook, you used to put things like, Ravi Gore is, and then you could fill in the blank. Yeah. And you could <laughs> say what you're doing. But, I, but you'd never put anything about property in there, because it wasn't a cool thing to do then, right? Um, but the, again, it's just people not analysing what they're doing. You've got to look at your demographics. Mm-hmm. You have to look at who your tenant types are. And you have to look at your numbers. Numbers, numbers numbers if there's one thing anyone takes away from this podcast today please 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 for the love of god get yourself a calculator get yourself a rent to rent calculator if you need to hit me up on instagram i'm more than happy to share something with you just please do your numbers right because if you don't dial them in and even if it's out by a certain percentage people go with their their heart say yeah i can tell so and so i've got my first rent to rent and we can make it work mm-hmm. and that's one thing that we made sure we didn't do and and, and the person i have to kind of um and she'll she'll love me saying this is i have to really congratulate on this is my wife because i was that person to say i want that house i want that house i'm gonna have that house and she's the finance person behind so she's an accountant by trade
1: that's super helpful
0: (laughs) and she was like looking at the penny she's like yeah but this one doesn't make financial sense and that one And i'm like no 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 i can make it work and she's like no it can't make financial sense because you know we're gonna run out a loss um and had i not listened had we'd not gone down that path together I probably would have had a whole lot of properties that would have burnt my hands. Um, so, numbers, numbers, numbers.
1: How, uh, obviously, you've got your wife there yep. to uh, help you balance the emotional aspect of what you are feeling. I can relate to this and I can actually feel Krish <laughs> looking at me. Energy's going, coming your yeah, way. I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I so saw uh, her smile when I said my, my yeah. wife, no, she was, I was <laughs> like, oh. She's like, yeah, I know how you feel. Uh, <laughs> I do the same thing. Um, how have you learned to separate your, emotion of like oh this could work to and putting that aside to just go actually no matter how much i love this property the numbers just don't make sense like is that just training is that just
0: a <sighs> little bit of training deals? um and, and i still see it with a lot of my mentees today they'll, they'll look at a house and they'll and some of them will say to me i've seen this fantastic penthouse apartment and i'll look at it and i'm like well the rent on it's very high so you're not really going to make a lot of money yeah yeah but it's amazing it's got floor to ceiling you know windows and it's got amazing um you know sound system or whatever but i'm like i don't really care i think the one thing that i've always done with in, in one of the things that maybe it's because you know, where i've been brought up around business i've always thought it has to be right on the numbers that's just something that's always dialed in if you look at a lot of my hmo portfolio especially in leicester a lot of the houses that i've taken on from landlords probably the ones that you and me probably wouldn't look twice on the right move because you're be like i'm not touching that. It's horrible mm. but what that's allowed me to do is a negotiate a lower rent with them mm-hmm. b that's allowed me to go and put my own touch on it so for example if they the standard properties in leicester would be like magnolia whitewashed and then you had very thin carpets it's allowed me to kind of go in and put my stamp on the properties my own kind of feature which allowed me then to uplift my income from those this, from this properties they're still in the locations which i wanted them to be in so two things I think you've got to like, really, really dial in is number one, you have to go with your head and not your heart. It may be the ugliest house in the street, but if you can put your head on, if you can put your f- touch on it, if you can think of it in terms of a mathematical situation and make this work, it's the best house on the street. And the second thing, you're going to look at your demographics and you look at your geography. You've got to look like where's my lo- property located just because it's located 10 minutes away from the city centre compared to something which is located five minutes away from the city centre. It can make a drastic difference.
1: What would you say is ideal location in that kind of example
0: um and again going back to this so i a lot where a lot of my property is situated in leicester they are about i would say they're about five to ten minute bus ride into town okay so even a walk takes you about 20 minutes but the location which they're situated is a hub for um, and i've purposely looked at this area because I, I grew up around it so i knew it really really well and the main tenant types there are young professionals so people that may be in first or second year jobs People that are last year's students or third years or researchers, mm-hmm. or young couples, they are your my ten, tenant types which I'm looking for, and I purposely target that area because I know if I'm targeting a researcher, if I'm targeting somebody who's on his third year, they're not going to mess around with the rent. They're not going to tell me oh, I haven't got it today because I spent it down the pub because they know, you know, how crucial it is to make sure they don't get a black mark against their name. Because someone like me who's been in the industry for a little while will say no problems at all, son, and the next thing you know, there's a CCJ hanging on your name. Yeah. Because I'm not here to be messed around. I'll, I will give you everything you need. I'll give you your foundation. I'll give you a house. I will leave you alone. The only thing I ask for is two things. You respect my property and you pay my rent on time. Everything else
1: I will I will do for you where I can. I was going to say, uh, renting to students sounds horrifying because I used to be one. And yep. I know what that's like. Yep. Uh, so, But I get the logic here. It's not just your first years, your freshers. You're going for the m- more mature student, which actually mitigates that risk.
0: And even internationals. Because they're coming over for, especially the ones coming from like Asia and like Indian places, like that, because they're here for a purpose, they n- they're not here to mess around. They're not here to, and a lot of them actually sometimes become on a, come on a bursary. So you actually get the whole year's rent up front, which is ideal for us because I get 12 months rent in my account. I don't have to mess around. I know they're not going to mess around. If they decide to leave halfway through, that's up to them because we've still been paid for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you just, again, it coming down to t- like um, identifying your tenant types. You just have to know who your clientele is and who you want to kind of go after. And th- and even if I've, I've had first years and second years in my properties, but if I have got them in, I need to make sure mum and dad are a guarantor okay. or there's a guarantor behind them. Because if little Johnny decides to play up, I'm going to be on the blower to mum and dad and say, little Johnny decided he doesn't want to pay rent this month because the carpet is now not to his liking in his room all of a sudden and he doesn't want to pay rent until I take it out. And they now know that's not a justifiable reason for them to not to pay rent. Um, so I think you've got to look at avenues and look at ways in which you can reduce your stress and your limit mm-hmm. and then go towards it. We were all students once. You know You know what it's like. I know what it's like. Yeah. We, we all had a good time <laughs> at uni and did whatever we needed to do. But
1: I, I didn't do anything in uni. I didn't. No, I, didn't. That I, was, <laughs> I was a good boy. I was a good boy. I can promise you that. <laughs> okay, so let's talk, let's talk some real numbers, okay? Um, if someone is able to create success on any of these rent-to-rent strategies or any branch of those um, and do it well, what kind of numbers do they need to consider going into the deal and what could someone expect as a return from that deal so the
0: very first thing someone needs to do when they want to do rent rent is set themselves up um, as a limited company and you have to become compliant to do your full compliances along with your company setup will roughly cost you between 12 to 1500 pound to -hmm. get going if you're going to go down the service accommodation deal um The way you have to look at it is every property, doesn't matter whether it's in half decent nick or if it's in poor condition, you still have to spend some money to bring it up to make it to that hotel sort of standard. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're looking at between sort of anything between five to 10,000 pound as a a setup. And that's potentially away from the rent as well. Okay. Sometimes. Whereas rent to rent HMO is probably a little bit bit less than that. I'd probably say um, you're looking at around about 1,500 pound to two grand. And the reason with that is when we're doing rent to rent HMO, when we're taking those properties on, there's a rule that says if the property is vacant, a HMO property is vacant, the landlord sometimes has to pay uh, double council tax rate. But if they've got furniture in them, they pay a standard rate council tax rate, if it's ever empty. Very unlikely that it is. It's a really strange rule.
1: I was going to say that's the weirdest rule. I've Somebody ever heard. on the
0: city council once told me that and I was just like, OK, fine. Uh, but it ticked the boxes for me because when I target these properties before I sign any contract on my second viewing, I go in and make sure that the furniture is up to decent standard. If it is broken, if it is anything wrong with it, I have that chance to have that communication with that landlord there and say, look, the bed's broken in room three. Can we please get it changed? And you're getting them to do a lot of the work before. All you have to then do at that stage is go in, dress it up, paint it, you know, things white, good. So fridge freezes if it needs it, kettle, toaster, microwave, cutlery. Your minimal spend. I I look to spend on a property and I'm doing it up at max £1,500 to 2K. Okay. Um, it's minimum in maximum out because it's rent to rent, and that's where you got to remember where you don't want to be going in changing bathrooms or kitchens and even f- even carpets to a certain degree. If it's not bad and I can just go and get it washed, it's gonna it's fine because it's a rent to rent deal. Mm-hmm. You know I'm not gonna go and spend two grand on a new carpet in a property because it's, it doesn't make sense. Um, with service accommodation, you do have to go the extra little mile. Do you do have to put a little bit more in because again you're trying to attract more guests kind of coming to your way. Again, I go back to look at your tenant types. So if you're looking at the contractor market, people that are going to be out on the field are going to be out there kind of majority of the day. And I'm not by any means de- degrading anybody, but you don't have to probably do the same standard. If you were so, sort of say have an apartment in, let's say, St. John's Wood, where your clientele is going to be somebody quite high up, yep. where you're going to have to kind of go, you know, the like bougie sort of style in, in the property to make yourself look out against somebody else. So again, it's just weighing up your,
1: your tenant types and weighing up your locations. I guess that also comes down to what kind of price they'd pay, what expectation they'd have based on that pricing as well, right? Absolutely. So you know
0: you could go from anything from one hundred and seventy to two hundred pound a night on certain properties to then certain other properties which you are charging eighty five to ninety. Again, depending where you are, the HMO aspect of it again is a little bit is a little bit different to that. Whether we do it at a mediocre rate, whether we do it at a higher rate, you can still more or less going kind to of charge that rate for the rooms. Um, the good thing with it is you with HMO, the slight difference with service accommodation is when it comes to uplift, there's not a lot more you can do when you're doing rent to rent HMO. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different ballgame when you're owning property because you can then look at the size, you can look at where you can create extra room. When you've got rent to rent HMO and that's what you're going to kind of have to work with, you, you have to see where can I add value in this? And that is that maybe me doing the rooms up a little bit more? Do I add extra things in the kitchen? Do I add extra things in the lounge area? For example, can I put a TV in there with Netflix? I've got a funny story actually. I got in saying that. I had a four bedroom HMO in Leicester. Always worked perfectly. During COVID times, um, all four tenants got on really, really well. I think it was one of the Game of Thrones finales. Uh, no, it wasn't Game of Thrones. It was um, the, the prequel to it. I can't remember what it's called. Oh, House of Dragons. House of Dragons. Yeah. Um, and it was a thing now in the house that they'd all get together in somebody's room and watch this <laughs> this episode. Yeah. So I was like, all right, cool. And I think I think it was before COVID actually. Um so what I did actually was put t- one of we had a spare room in there which wasn't big enough to have a house as a bedroom, put some bean bags in there, put television in there because that could all it could fit in The sofa wouldn't fit into it. And the guys loved it. And literally it, just doing that small thing kept those guys in the house for a year and a half. Wow. Um, because it just built that camaraderie. They were comfortable in the house. I was comfortable in the house. They were respecting it as their own. I didn't have to worry about, um, are they going to look after the place? Is it going to be damaged? Is, is it going to be dirt all over It the felt place? like home. It felt like home. It felt okay. like home. Amazing. So. And funnily enough, they were all um, internationals. So they coming okay. from the UK. So.
1: so you're definitely consistent in your message. You
0: have to be. <laughs> you have to be. Yeah, I love it.
1: Um, Okay, so let's, let's stick with some of those numbers there and let's use the rent to HMO. So mm-hmm. essentially you're renting a property from a landlord. You're spending up to five to 10K in total to um, do the property up and just make it essentially attractive for someone to want to rent it. Um, what could someone expect? And maybe you've got an example of one of your mentees that's done this. What could you expect for them to get as a return? For following through and doing well on that strategy so when you're doing
0: rent to rent hmo the number one rule you have to remember is we need to make a minimum hundred pound profit per room so when i'm looking at a deal if it's a five bedroom deal it has to make me um, 500 pound a month if it's five bed six bed six bed minimum for us to even c- contemplate taking that one now when you put that deal to the calculator when you're doing it in terms of like what your refurb costs are any kind of if you've paid a sourcing fee to a sourcer for it, anything that you've had to pay out for in terms of like works and maintenance, we need to break even within a six months window. The reason I have for that is even though we sign a three year contract sometimes with landlords, there'll always be a 12 month break clause in those properties. So a landlord has the same right as you do if they want to activate that break clause and say, look, sorry, I don't need the property anymore. I don't want you to have the property anymore at least we've made six months worth of profit. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've seen so many deals where people kind of take it on for like month nine and month 10, but that's too long a window. A lot of the landlords now sometimes aren't even comfortable with going three-year contracts and they're wanting to start on a 12-month contract. Last thing you want to do is go and spend five or 10 grand on a property and you're not going to see that money back until month 10 or 11. The yep. landlord then rings you up and sends you a, a letter through saying they're going to activate the break clause and you've made two months of profit, which you haven't even made your money back on. on. So... It's just making sure your numbers are, are, are right. For rent, rent HMO, 100 pound profit per room. And you need to break even within six months.
1: So this is why having a mentor is so helpful.
0: Absolutely crucial. And 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 I know that because I made those mistakes. Yeah. Because when I take it back to 2009, 2010, when I started doing let to let the philosophy wasn't 100 pound profit per room. But the, my philosophy was I needed to make more than what my average management was going to be. So an average management on a property back then was about 50 quid. Okay. So if I was renting the rooms out, In fact, I'll take you back a little bit. One of the things I did then is when you're young and you're at that age, I think I was about 19, 20, you're eager. You're always going to prove people right. I did this and I did that. The problem I had then is I was over-promising to landlords who at the same time knew I was young and I was brash and I was just going to say it. They would dangle a golden carrot and say, if you rent this six bed out, we'll give you the rest of the portfolio. Now, 2009, 2010, what happened was our previous recession. So nobody was going to rent the six beds and seven beds because there was a lot to do. So I had to start writing the rooms out. So what, the way I did my maths on doing them was I was writing the rooms out. As long as I was making more than my management fee, happy days. So that means I've, I'll be doing work for like 70, 80 quid. And at that time, I was like over the moon, happy as Larry, thinking I'm doing a fantastic job. It's only when I sought my mentor and he was like, what the hell are you doing? That's, you know, you're in financial loss here. Because I, w- I kept thinking I'm doing all this work. The landlords are literally like drawing blood from a stone from me. Why am I not making any money on this? And then, almost when the penny dropped, it should be a hundred pound profit per room. It was like the aha realization moment where I was like, right, okay, so I've made a massive boohoo here where I could have been making so much more money. Mm-hmm. And I've literally, you know, dived in blindly to do something. Had I sought- seek the guidance of somebody who knew what they're talking about, I wouldn't have made those mistakes. And, and, it, and you, look, you every life's a journey, right? Yeah. You ha- I had to go through those journeys, had to go through those experiences to get me where I am today. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: but yeah. It's, it's it's what it's what it's all about right okay so i'm gonna come on to mentors in a second and before i do for someone listening to this going do you know what this sounds incredible like i'm passionate about this and i want to follow through a lot of estate agents have guards up against people wanting to come in rent a property to then rent it out to someone else mm-hmm. how do you go about finding someone that's going to rent it to you in the way that you have I think the first thing that and
0: the biggest psychological thing when you, when you talk to like mentees or talk to anybody in general who's struggling to work with agents is they kind of put the agents on a pedestal like they're this greatest thing ever. And they're different from me and you. Look, they're still humans. They still eat breakfast before 9 a.m. possibly. They still want their lunch at nine o'clock. They still can't wait to clock out of work at 5 p.m. They still celebrate Christmas like me and you do. They still go out and do other things like me and you do. They're human beings. People buy from people. Go in, make a relationship with them, start talking to them, start communicating. It's all about building your pipeline up. The biggest misconception people have is they'll walk into an agency and they will sell from day one. And and naturally an agent, and when somebody came to me in the late agency, and they would like, to me, my back's going to be up against the wall. I'm going to be like, whoa, like, hold on a second. You You've just walked to the door and you're throwing this whole shabila. And a lot of these guys are scripted. So they'll come in with a script and they'll say... And they'll, they'll literally know how to answer the next question back. And the agent knows because there's like 10 of them already that have come in and said the same thing. You've got to go in and make that relationship with the, with the agents. And it's not going to happen the first time around. I've actually had a mentee, Amadeep. Amadeep has been with me for, I think, the start of December. He's just taken on um, with one agent. They've given him an essay deal yep. in Windsor. Yep. And they're also about to throw him two HMOs in Slough from wow. one agent from one agent and he's talked to numerous agents and they've all given him the same positive response because what he's done differently from everybody else is he's gone and just made that human touch hi I'm Amadeep I'm from so and so properties I'm just in the area I just would sort of come and introduce myself or he'd pick up the phone and he wasn't hard selling them that's the biggest thing you don't want to do you don't want to throw it some down, down somebody's throat where you know you're kind of like forcing them to kind of do a deal with you just let them ease into it let them build a bit of rapport with you go to the viewing have a good friendly chat with them it's just building that human touch and I think problem i have today and, and it's partly because social media's fault is people have forgotten that that personal um that personal touch that you know human side of it things it's yeah. almost it's it's very robotic it has to be done like this yeah. way.
1: and it's gone into that whole instant grat- gratification uh way of life which is they're expecting the result now but yeah. as with anything when you're selling any kind of service or opportunity or you want something it takes time and you've got to build your know like and trust and it's it's always a long play mm-hmm. it's always a long play you never want to expect something short term if something's super short term and super easy as the saying goes easy come easy go mm-hmm. you take your time you build the foundation you build the relationship you're going to have something that's more long term more long lasting and something that will pay you uh dividends for well years hopefully
0: absolutely and that's where you go look it's a long-term game as you just said cool yeah
1: all right mentors it's hit me so you are a mentor yes okay uh you've not always been a mentor you've um decided to become a mentor after you've seen the success that you've seen for yourself let's start with what makes a good mentor
0: what makes a good mentor Um, Again, going back to my previous one, it's that human touch. So the whole point of somebody reaching out to a mentor, wanting to use a mentor, is to get them to the next stage a lot faster by bypassing mistakes. If you've still got a mentor and you're still making the same mistakes you do without them, you've not really got a mentor. A mentor is someone that should be able to guide you to the next stage or get you past those hurdles. So if you think of it as like a marathon running, where people got to jump over those hurdles. Your mentor should be that person. As you get into that, that hurdle, pick you up and put you down towards it, right? And that's the way I've always looked at it. If somebody wants to work with me, it's my job to get them from A to Z and I have to show them how and what to do it. They can't be sort of getting there thinking, I'm still stuck now, Ravi, I don't know what I'm doing. Ravi, how do I do this? Naturally, there'll be obstacles that come in the way. Naturally, there'll be um, things that, you know, they didn't expect or I didn't expect. Mm -hmm. But it's it's the experience behind you which can allow me to levitate them to the next level. And that's what, for me, makes a great mentor. Someone that can take me from position A, to zed and guide me just show me a roadmap of where i need to go and hold my hand through that journey that is what a mentor should be and that's how a mentor should should be working with their mentees
1: what's the best and worst advice you've ever had from a mentor
0: the best advice i've had from a mentor um the best advice i've had from a mentor is someone that says if if it's if your gut believes it's true it's going to be true and, and I still believe that quite strongly today. So if you've got a gut feeling that something's not right or something is right, or even when you're speaking to someone, you think, yeah, I can make this work. Nine times out of ten, it will work. Um, the worst advice I've had from a mentor, I, would, uh, I wouldn't say I've had bad advice. I would say I've experienced some, one in particular, I won't mention names, bad mentor who was kind of just there for the money. It, it was the shiny pennies were there and it used to be a case of come and see me once a month outside of that I don't want to know you and, and as I was saying to you guys earlier on well what happens when on Monday morning after I've met you I have a burning question about a deal that's potentially coming my way who do I communicate with and if, and if I'm a mentee and I need advice I need help I need you on the other end of the phone the way technology is going today you've got you've got slack you've got whatsapp you've got, iMessage, you've got you've you got name unlimited
1: it. ways to Do you know communicate they, with someone
0: get us on tiktok chat or get yeah. on instagram <laughs> chat or facebook chat there's just millions of ways of reaching out to people right but it's it's being that person that, that you could smell the money on them they are literally they were just like sniffer dogs like okay it's the end of the month they're gonna pay the next portion <laughs> That's one head of a and they're, analogy. Just, <laughs> they're literally just there they're, they're ready for you like next payment and then they're like best friends with you and then all of a sudden you're like whoa when i need you, when i needed you last week to answer that question for me where were you um, I, I, that's why I would say I think I've I'm quite strong like that I, I when something doesn't seem right with me I can't move forward um, and as you probably know I'm quite blunt as well and, I, and I'll call black is black and white is white yep. um, and that's just, just the way you've got to be in, in business I think
1: you spoke about gut feeling Okay, how do you differentiate between what's a gut feeling and what just might be thoughts running through your mind I think um,
0: I'm one of those kind of people that when I've got something in my mind and I want to do it, I will damn well make sure I do it. But and again, this is where Christian was going to smile now. So my kind of having like getting married, and my partner coming back because it allows me to talk to somebody else about it rather than rushing off. Previously, I probably rush off and go and do something. And I've made mm-hmm. my mistakes. Where now I think sometimes if you talk something through with somebody, and let them see it from their perspective. You see it from your perspective. Break it down completely. And if that gut feeling is still there after the two of you have had that conversation or the group of you had that conversation, run with it. Because if it's still thoughts in your head and you're still kind of procrastinating over it, then something's not right there because it's not giving you that, yes, go, go on, let's go ahead with this or mm. no, I don't think this is right
1: with you. That's a good point actually because I get a huge wave of clarity once I've had that conversation uh with krish and that allows me to get all the rational stuff out the way mm-hmm. and then i'm kind of looking to see if that feeling's still there yeah like is that spark still there do i still want to do that thing do i still want to go ahead with that project do we still want to move country like whatever it is that we're talking about yeah. we by having that open discussion it takes away the energy and the charge of trying to rush into something Yeah. And it leaves like the essence of that feeling, which I can only describe for me personally, as as like a little sense of, like that little whisper in your ear that's just going, just go for it.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So that's that's interesting. You got the same. It's
0: almost like that that uh, the monkey paradox, that monkey on your on your shoulder. Mm. Like you know, sometimes when you you want to do something but you're not sure about it. But then when you speak to somebody, you see there, because sometimes when you start thinking about things, you kind of put yourself in a box and all you got to think about is what you and when somebody else starts to talk to you about it and you start listening to their perspective and you think, oh, I didn't actually think about that or I didn't actually. Yeah, that's true. I didn't realize that was also an issue. You then break it down a bit further. And, and just like you said, it helps you to kind of get things off your chest, look at it from a different perspective, look at it from her perspective, look at your perspective. And if we both still want to do this, like you guys moving to Dubai, which I think is absolutely <laughs> amazing, it's it's one of my dreams, Mom and Dad. If you're listening, we need to get going. Yeah, um, <laughs> so yeah. I, th- I think it's just and like two of you said. Yep, we want to do this, and you mm-hmm. went ahead with it. And I think I think that's amazing. Yeah, really?
1: absolutely, it's amazing. Still shitting ourselves about the whole process, and but nah, excited at the same time for sure.
0: I think you're moving to the greatest state on the country in the country in the world. Sorry, <laughs> not the country in the world. Uh, well,
1: okay, let's let's dive into Dubai for a second, right? Because I know that. You've actually set yourself up out there as well, yes. Uh, which we spoke about uh synchronistically a month or two ago now, I think. It was, yeah, before and Christmas, I think, I yeah. think just before. Yeah. So, why are you set up there and what's your plan out there? Like, what are you looking to do with all the stuff that you've got going on, on over here in the UK? So, Dubai,
0: I when I first went over to Dubai in 2014, I actually went for my stag, funnily enough. Nice, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. it was all the good ran- memories of all the randomest <laughs> places we can we could have gone. It was Dubai. Um, and even then, you know, we were drunk as skunks, we did whatever. It was one of those places that you just felt that there's positivity here. There's a, there's a vibe. Um, and in fact, my last trip in 2022, um, and my wife can account for this. I remember sitting in, in the pool bar the, our very last day, I said to my wife, "Look, I just want to spend some time in the sun. Mum and dad had come on the trip with us as well. They've, they'd gone back a few days before sent us a picture of home and it was just chucking it down I said look (laughs) it's 40 odd degrees here I want to sit in the pool bar and just enjoy myself today at that time my my oldest son was nine months so they went upstairs I'm sat down in the pool bar in our hotel there's two American uh, gentlemen elderly gentlemen from from Texas they just brokered nearly a billion dollar deal between the two of them nothing but the swimming trunks two pints of beer They've got a napkin, they've got a pen and they're just writing this deal down how they want to obviously then get solicitors and legals involved to progress it. That would not happen in the UK. And it was that realization, and I was, and there was no hate around that table. Sorry, in that bit there was I was listening in awe. I didn't want to move from my spot because I was just listening to the dialogue. And it was just that realization that Dubai is one of those places that almost nothing is enough and everything is achievable. So we talk about the American dream, which mm-hmm. was you know previously, which was heard. But I think that the United Arab Emirates dream is a lot more powerful.
1: Dude, I cannot believe you've just said that because I saw a post from someone on Instagram two days ago. Okay. And uh, we started following them because they've just moved from the UK to, uh, sorry, from the States to Dubai. Okay. And the post said exactly those words in the caption, which is, forget the American dream. It's about the Arabian dream yeah which is insane that you've just said the same words because i've not shared that with you um it's a, it's, it is that feeling
0: i think everybody that goes there has that kind of unless you're going to go there and have a party which isn't you can have a good time doing that anyway i've got experience on that but if, <laughs> if you if you want to go there and, and look when we went last time in in a couple of years ago um less than that it was just that just that mindset that everything is achievable. It was just that mindset that, like for, for example, the biggest thing was Saudi Arabia started making murmurs that they're going to make the biggest tower in the world. Mm. The minute Dubai has heard that, they've now dwarfed that made one even bigger. Yeah, it's in the plans to go through. It's going to be near the creek where where you guys creek are. Creek right? tower. Yeah. So, it's just that vision. It's that mentality. So we just thought, right, we have to get ourselves out there. There's something that is is allowing us to. Um, by the grace of God I, I found some good friends who helped me out around there. Just very basic things like we take things for granted like the electricity bill or the gas mm-hmm. bill and we seem to think it's gonna be on a monthly payment, but it's things are done over there very, very differently. Yeah, we found that out recently as well. So it's like, you know, I was thinking, yeah, I'll take an apartment out, I'll pay the rent every single month. And people are like, Well, if you're gonna run it as Airbnb or service accommodation, we need a year's rent up front. And that was a reality shock. Yeah. But you then you didn't realise your tenant types there are different as well. So for example, one of our tenant target tenant types there, are people who are transitioning from the UK or other countries, and they want to become um, residents of the UAE. And as you know, when you get your UAE uh, permit, it could take anything between zero to six weeks. So, and you never know, they'll call you on the day and say, right, you're going to come in today to get your your paperwork. So our clientele, people that they were probably there for like, start off with like five days, renew for again, another five. And by the time they know it, they've been in there for five weeks, Mm. it's great for us. It's great for them because they've got stability. By the time they get, you know, their paperwork, we're looking at the next person kind of coming in. Dubai has always allowed us to kind of have that kind of, and we're not, by all means, we're not big out there. We're a very, very small company, just doing a little bit here and there. But it's allowed us to kind of have that vision. And like I said, I, I would love to one day potentially move out there and, and that would be home. But even if it's not, it allows me to go there with my kids to kind of, they at some point can kind of take over or they can enjoy the values of it. or They can enjoy you know, not my hard work for me. Um, and that's why we're doing it, right? is to kind of give them that that kind of ultimate life where, and I don't want them to be like spoiled rich kids or anything like that. That's not what I'm alluding to. But what I what I do want them to do is to sort of sit back and say, you know what, I can chill today because my dad did it and he's allowed me to get to this stage and do what I want. And now I'm going to take it to the next level. Um, and that's always been my vision. And I think my problem with the UK is the UK doesn't have that mindset. And this is something that we, talk, we spoke about a little mm-hmm. bit earlier. The UK is very stuck in, if you're wearing a Rolex, where did you get that from? How can I steal it off you? And you've seen the crime rate, which is going on in London, which is going around, around the UK now. It's not safe. You can walk around with your car door open in Dubai, and no one's gonna say boo to you. And they'll probably think you're mad because you know, you're know you overheating <laughs> the car or whatnot with the heat. Yeah. But it's it's that it's that mindset we've always loved out there.
1: I think that's a that's a good point as well, because it's something that happened here in the UK on New Year's Eve. And I remember like, we were just celebrating at home and it was a chilled out one and it was great. And you know, You wake up the next morning and it's the first day of 2024. And the first thing you hear or get the notification of of BBC News was uh, stabbing on Primrose Hill for a 16-year-old, which is absolutely terrifying. Um, So I I totally resonate with that.
0: And the thing with it is, right, and and I'm quite family-orientated. It has to be about about the family. Um, So I want to be in a place where my mom my sister my niece my wife they can walk around at like 10 o'clock in the evening and no one's going to say anything to them i i wouldn't dare let them do that around here in the, in the uk you know I'm, I'm quite like protector of that and i still say it to like my mom and dad like mom now i'm like shall i go with you no leave it i'll go pick it up or i'll pick you up or whatever it might be because there's always that you know there's always that like inkling in my heart that you can't trust anybody here
1: that is crazy isn't yeah. it because i always actually we're all like have you locked the doors have you done this have you done that and i spoke to um a couple of my friends who are out in dubai and they were talking about where they live and like giving us some advice on like places to look at and stuff and that was like their feedback was they never locked their doors yeah which is crazy uh in my that happening in london yeah exactly yeah um that's just an open invitation to get robbed robbed (laughs) (laughs) okay um I'm going to move on to some quotes that I found in your socials in a second. Okay. Mm -hmm. Before I do, how do you, because you mentioned obviously about your sons. Yep. You've worked your ass off to be where you are. And I completely agree with you in trying to provide the best life for your future generations to come. Mm -hmm. How do you instill into them the mindset and the work ethic that you've gone through knowing that they're on a potentially better footing than you were when you first started? Um, I think it comes down to my mum and
0: dad. Um, Because we, dad has a very successful business. So it wasn't as if, um, we lived a good life. Mm -hmm. Um, We still do today. But one thing that was never kind of, um, my mum might contest this a little bit, because obviously (laughs) I used to, my passion with cricket bats. We weren't just given things. We weren't just like saying, oh you know there's 50 quid go and do what you like with it no you know if you if you've taken 50 quid what are you spending it on not to you know you're not you're not being like antagonized but you've got to learn the value of that money mm-hmm. and and ha- we learned quite quickly because unfortunately dad's business and and my uncle's business we suffered quite heavily due to no fault of the other. certain things went wrong and and you you quickly learn the value of of you can go from here to there very very quickly biggest thing that i, w- I will instill in the biggest thing that kind of drives me allows me to bear a word, as i probably says my faith um i've been through some things that i can't even we we'll probably have to get another podcast to go through what, what happened but my faith in the almighty has, has allowed me to be where i am and that's one thing i need them to be installed in their mind it's not about the money it's if you are a good human being if you for me if you believe in god and you live a, a good honest way you will get your due. And, and one thing I will, I will always say to them is, I mean, they were quite young, get once, two and once, four months. Whatever penny is written to you, you will get. I can't get a pe- your Dipesh's penny because it's not written for me. I'm not going to go and grab it off you. It's not going to be no value to me. What's written for me, I will get. What's written for you too, you will get. Be honest, be righteous, good human. I just want people to say they're good human beings. As a dad, happy as Larry. They can have what they want then.
1: Do you believe in destiny?
0: Do I believe in destiny? Um, interesting i i believe certain things are written out for you but i also believe that the pen is still flowing because it's almost like god will say to you i'm going to put you in the situation you can go left or you can go right if you go left this is what's written if you go right this is what can be written you chose now son which way do you want to go and that's what i kind of believe i think certain things are written out for you there are certain things that are destined to happen, but I also think that it, you're, you're kind of given an option left or right. And that's why I said the pen still flows, because if you went left, it's going to flow this way. If you went right, it will flow that way.
1: I fucking love that. Yeah. That's <laughs> a great definition. Um, I might not air this podcast and just steal that as mine. <laughs> 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 nah. um, okay. So did a little dive into your socials and I found three uh, quotes that I really liked. Okay. I'll reflect the quote back to you. I hope I can remember them now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm just curious about your take. Yeah. Okay. First one. Don't let shiny distractions veer you off your path. Yes. Why is that so important?
0: Because a road to success will be veered with a lot of shiny things that will come your way. They look shiny. They look amazing. They look great. Um, and, and if I simplify that. I could have 50,000 pounds in my bank account. Do I want to go and put that 50,000 pounds on a down payment for a new BMW M5 or do I want to go and put that as a down payment on a potential investment property which will keep giving me return on investment. The shiny car will look a lot better because it'll look great you driving around in that BMW, fantastic, looks amazing. However, it's also depreciating in value very very quickly whereas if you put that same fifty thousand pound in property, you can grow your generational wealth very quickly with it.
1: I love that. Your mindset is more than a tool; it's your superpower.
0: Mindset is everything, and and I'm someone that that um, I've struggled with anxiety. I have, and I still to today. I I wouldn't say procrastinate like anything when a big deal is coming through um you know i will sometimes my wife and bless her she probably gets the brunt of it i'm like this can go wrong and that can go wrong and this can happen and why does this happen and but you know if you if you've got that mindset of like i'm gonna do this i'm gonna get myself through this i'm gonna get to the next level it will be your tool it can take somebody who's got a lot of experience somebody's got no experience to the path where they want to kind of go to
1: amazing and that just is a Massive reflection on how I am most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> um we're both the same. Yeah, hundred yeah. um, percent. Third thing, becoming an entrepreneur is often misunderstood as a path to not having to work, when in reality the work doesn't stop.
0: Yeah, and and this was aimed at a lot of those people who want a new who are new into property, who sort of see things on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, and think. And it's a lot of the young ones. So, yeah, I'm going to get into property because and I'm going to have my own business because I'm not do to have to work a nine to five. I can go to Nando's at 12 o'clock if I want to go to Nando's. I can take Friday off if I don't want it Friday. Off. Yeah, you can do when you're about 10, 15 years into the business and it's established by all means, do what you want. However, you don't work a nine to five an entrepreneurs. Like last night, I was up to two in the morning because I had things to get done because I know I was going to be traveling down to see you today. I, that, so I'm I'm punched in and I was actually at my desk yesterday from um half past seven then I went back out in the morning I had to go and do a couple of things came back and, and, I, and I switched my laptop at two o'clock in the morning that lifestyle it, we don't always show it on Instagram we don't always show it on YouTube but being an entrepreneur does mean that you know you're working several hours there's no set hours there's sometimes there's no such thing as a lunchtime or a coffee break You're having that while you're on the phone to people you're having i your I've had my lunch while I'm on uh, one-to-one calls with my mentees it has to happen during the day you know and that is the biggest misconception people need to kind of get over. Being an entrepreneur isn't isn't you're not going to sit there in the first few years and just say, "Yeah, today I'm going to take a month off and spend it in Dubai." We did it in in 2022 at a great time, but I've also got a track history of 10 years plus in business that allowed me to. I didn't do it in the first five years because I, I wasn't sustainable.
1: Amazing, I love that, and I think that's something that definitely needs to be talked about more. Yeah. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Okay, final four here we go okay and these can be uh like a quick uh, quick answers on these ones what's the one skill you think is essential for someone to succeed in this world mindset i I knew you were going to say that <laughs> biggest,
0: tool, biggest tool biggest tool you've got in your life is your brain so fine tune it
1: love that what is the most impactful book or movie that's completely changed your perspective on life
0: think and grow rich um, I actually remember somebody giving it to me and I thought they were bonkers They kept going on about this think and grow rich nonsense until I opened the page and read it uh, and, and I've, I've read it about 50 60 times since because every time I read it I pick something new up from it so it's an amazing book and anyone's not and not just about property but anyone in life in general just that mindset from where you can go from if you want something that badly put yourselves in the position to get it and you will, you will eventually achieve it. Yeah. So, I love that book. Napoleon yeah. Hill.
1: It's a uh, brilliant. And every single time I read it, I pick up something new. There you go. hundred percent. This podcast is called the mindful creator. What does being mindful mean to you and how do you practice it?
0: What is mindful being? And how do you practice it? Um, I think being mindful, you, you be aware of your surroundings, mindful, you think about what you want to do, how you want to do it, what you need to say to somebody, how you say it. Um, I could have changed the tonality very quickly in this podcast about certain things we've talked about, but it wouldn't have gone. It would have just been negative. And that's not what me and you want to put this podcast out as we want Mm -hmm. it to be positive. We want it to be impactful, We want it to help somebody. So I think it's just being aware of your surroundings and just doing what you can do to help somebody else in in the next um, step of their journey.
1: Love that. Final question. And this is about you and your younger self. Yes. So if you could go back to one point in your past to your younger self at any age and give your younger self one piece of advice, what age would you go back to and what would you say? Um,
0: there's actually two things, if you don't mind me saying it. There's, mm-hmm. there's one at 14, which I, w- I will go back to because that was when I was at that critical age of cricket. Had I put 10 percent, 15 percent more in, you would have probably seen my name on the IPL. I was that I was at that level. I just didn't, my dad pushed me for the love of God. I just, uh, to be honest, I was too into girls. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I, I, I love the I, honesty. I, I was at that stage <laughs> in life. I went to an all-boys school. Next to me was an all-girls school. I was getting female attraction and my mindset lost. So if I could go back to my 14-year-old self then, I'd probably give myself a slap and say, <laughs> get back on the straight and narrow. Think about where you want to go because it can lead to like amazing contracts, right? Mm-hmm. And the next step I'd be when I when I kind of went into uh, a little bit later on into my lettings journey is Be careful who you trust because not everybody has the best intentions for you. Um, And I learned a very, very harsh lesson in in the lettings industry. Um, I thought everybody, heart is is probably as pure as mine was going to be with them. Um, So you've just got to watch out. Not everybody has your best interest at heart.
1: How do you tell if someone now has your best interest or not? I think you... The
0: actions first and foremost is definitely something that you can pick up. And their vibe, if they are all about, they want to hang around with you because you look great on Instagram, or you drive a nice car, or you're associated with certain people. You know something's not right there because they only want to be around you because you're associated with somebody else or you have something. But I think again, it goes down to that gut feeling when you know something's right. And, and I think the one thing that I'd probably say is you don't want to tell somebody everything straight away as well. Just hold a little bit back. Just see what their actions are. see what their intentions are. And if somebody comes genuine, and is pure, I mean, look, it's human nature. Everybody will kind of throw a curveball here and there and do something, right? Uh, I think it's just how you react to it. Um, but for me, honesty is the best policy.
1: I love that. Yeah. And I love that last point because that's been super insightful for me. I'm very much the opposite of that, which is I'll go and tell everyone everything right <laughs> from the beginning because I just feel like I I, I just have this blind mindset that everyone's thinking the same way that I'm thinking when in reality that's not always the case so big lesson for me there as well Ravi thank you so much absolute pleasure
0: been a pleasure really really had and thank you so much for both of you having me on really really enjoyed it